Acts chapter 3, verse number 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon them with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. Amen. This morning I want to speak to you for a few moments on beyond what I expected. Beyond what I expected. God is able to do much more than we could even think or ask, the scripture says. Praise God. So if you've come in the house of God here today and you're expecting something, whatever your expectations were in the house of God this morning, there is a God that is able to exceed what you were thinking. Hallelujah. And so when our faith arises, God is able to do great, great things. Amen. So as we pray together, let's ask that God would direct us and help us to see how awesome how powerful and what his ability is in the house of God today. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for this passage of scripture that you have given and the revelation that you're able to do so very, very much. I honor you and thank you and praise you, and I pray that you would touch everybody that is gathered together today. In Jesus' name we pray, and somebody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. In any entrepreneurial perspective or any business endeavor, there is a saying that is so very, very true, and that is that the goal should be to do more, deliver more than what is expected, to exceed it, to accomplish more. Rather than over-delivering and then underperforming, overselling and then underperforming, the goal is to deliver more than what is expected. Because you leave with the customer the idea or the notion that I was expecting a certain product, I was expecting a certain service, and yet this has exceeded my expectations. You leave the customer very, very happy. And so in marketing, this is one of the strategies that, that is employed. Uh, in marketing, you have things like product, place, price, promotion. You can look at just about any uh, particular product, whether it's a vehicle, whether it's something you purchase off the shelves, whether you go to grocery stores, they all have a certain... Um, trajectory or a certain model, uh, there's a product that they're selling, there's a location where they are, there is a price point that they're trying to achieve, and then there is promotion that goes into that as well. This is the four P's of marketing. If I learned anything when I was going to school, this is one of the things that 
stuck with me, the four P's of marketing. I had a marketing teacher that was very, very interesting. <clears throat> I, should have, I should have taken my concentration in marketing. I started school in North Dakota, Minot, North Dakota, and I started in accounting with my cousin who was a month older than I am. We both started in accounting. He's still an accountant. He finished. Um, at, but when I moved here, they didn't have an accounting degree at Cal State. They had <coughs> different concentrations. They had accounting, um, which was a minor, and I, I didn't want a minor. They had management information systems, which manif management information systems is language, code, at that time, this is really, really dating me. <laughs> this was in the early 90s. Something called the Internet was just coming around. <laughs> so people were creating pages for uh, businesses on the Internet, networking and things like this. So I thought that was the wave of the future. I'd get involved in computers. So that was my concentration. They also had concentrations in finance and what have you. And you had to take a class in each and every one of these concentrations to give you a well-rounded business administration degree. And so I chose management information systems, which I didn't care too much for. So I I'll just say this. Do something that you enjoy. <laughs> don't get into something that you don't particularly enjoy. You will be absolutely miserable. But I was already too far in, and so... Um, that was my particular path, but I found out somewhere in the process of that the whole idea of marketing. And so the teacher, in order, on the first day of class, he made it fun. And computer stuff sometimes is not real fun. Code, uh, COBOL, and stuff like this. C++. <laughs> it was, I was just not cut out for that kind of stuff. I tried. I gave it my best shot. But I took a class in marketing, and the first day of class, and this is what made it so fun, it's more kind of, I guess, my personality, he had everybody take off their shoe, one shoe. And then he brought everybody's shoes up front, and he had a collection of shoes from, from tennis shoes to casual shoes to flip-flops. He had a little bit of everything. And so then in class, he said, okay, now this is basically what marketing is. He said, we're going we're gonna to have a book and we're going to have tests. And, but this really right here, what I'm getting ready to do today is going to illustrate to you what marketing is and how you employ it in business. So he brought all of that up there. And then he started going through all of these areas. He said, these are all products. So how would we split these products up? What, how would we categorize it? So the whole class worked to separate the tennis shoes and separate the casual shoes and separate uh, flip-flops and things like that. And then he, he had a whole group of that. He said, okay, now all of these shoes have a price point. So he talked about different price points. Talked about place. They're all sold somewhere. Where are they sold? How are they sold? Are they sold in a mall? Are they sold in a, a shoe store? Are they sold online? Uh, and then the promotion, how, how are those products promoted? And each one of them also has a certain demographic. You have some shoes that you might categorize as cheaper shoes and then some shoes that are more expensive. And so there's a niche market for each and every one, whether it's luxury, whether it is standard, whether it is 
uh, economical, and so he pointed out all of these areas. Everything has a price, a product, a place, and then you have to promote it. You've got to promote it. And the goal in all of those things is to uh, give more than what the customer expected. Deliver on what is more than what is expected. Don't overpromise and then underdeliver. Don't do that. Somebody that does that, you're going to have a customer that is unhappy because they were expecting something. Their mind was conditioned on what you told them that you could do. And then when you don't measure up to that, it, it leaves a, a sour taste in the presence of the customer or the consumer. So don't ever overpromise and underdeliver. It would be better to undersell a little bit and then overdeliver on what you are capable of doing. And you have to market it. You've got to promote it. And you've got to try your best to exceed expectation. <clears throat> and in this passage of Scripture that we have read, this is, is what goes on because the man that is brought, the certain lame man from his mother's womb, he's brought daily to the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, and he parks there and he asks for alms. He's asking for money. So his expectation is that I'm going to receive something from people that are passing by. That's his expectation. That's what he thinks. He has been doing this for all of his life. So his expectations are, this is what I'm going to receive from people that pass by and voluntarily put something in my cup or whatever that he is using to ask for alms. On this particular day, Peter and John, they arrive. They're about to go into the temple. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon this man with John, said, look on us. And what's fascinating is they didn't have any money, but they knew they had something that is greater than money. And I want to say that from the outset here today. What we have in the house of God is greater than finances. Praise God. What we have in this place and what God has blessed us with is greater than any money that you could gather together and put together. I may be poor in this life. You may be poor in this life. But if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got a peace that passes all understanding. You've got a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory if you've got God's presence in your life. Do you recognize that you've got something very, very valuable? Praise God. Praise God. Let's thank the Lord together for what he has richly given to us. Praise God. They said, look on us. Look on us. <laughs> we don't have money. We don't have anything like that. But Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Sometimes people will come by and they'll ask for a handout and we usually try to give them something so we don't send them away empty but sometimes you have to be careful even with that because then they'll come back only to receive the handout.
handout. You know what's greater than the handout? Greater than the handout is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that is able to change somebody's life. You could give and give and give and give and it would never save them. But if they could be saved, that's more important than any of the gifts that you could give to them. That doesn't mean that we relinquish our community perspective, but it does mean that we set the right priority in that church is first and foremost about salvation. I came here today because I need to be saved. Amen. Many years ago, there was something called the social gospel. And the social gospel was that the church needed to be involved in the community because people were turning away from the church. There was no giving. And I understand that. We need to do our part in the community. That's why we go out into the community and we bring children. We try to connect with parents. We send food, money, and clothes. We try to do what we can do for the community. We should do some of those things. Praise God. We shouldn't sit on the top of a city and hill and say we've arrived Jesus was about helping people and he, and he reached out to people that were impoverished he reached out to people that were on the fringes of society we should never discount anybody we shouldn't discriminate against anybody be careful that that bearded dude that walks in that he's dirty and he stinks and he smells is not a Steve Perez that's going to church still in Lake Isabella that is somebody that's a soul and then he keeps coming to church and people start reaching out and loving on him don't discriminate against somebody at least give them an opportunity but the thing that has to happen is a transformation in their life praise God praise God brother Philip thank you for standing this morning don't just walk on by the guy that's serving you food in Hodel's. It could be Philip that's reaching out, wanting to find out more about God. He's in the house of God today, and we benefit from him being here. Praise God. I'm excited for what God is doing in his life and what God is going to continue to do in his life. He has not missed a service. He's been faithful. If he's not coming to church, he lets me know. Hallelujah. There are things in his life he says, Pastor, I want to talk to you about. I need some guidance and some strength. Don't Discount people. Don't discriminate people. It doesn't matter what they look like, where they've come from. God's got a purpose and destiny in their life, and God's going to use them. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. They didn't discriminate against him. They just recognized we don't have, we don't have silver and gold. But such as I have, give I thee, amen. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. His expectation was exceeded because he didn't get something in his coin jar, but he got something else. He got his healing. Praise God. And so he jumps up and he, leaping, walks into the temple Amen. The everyday grind of what he expected, asking for money, asking alms, expecting to receive something from them. Amen. What he received was a name that was something he could possess. And in that name was connected salvation and healing. Praise God. you got a decision to make. It's either going to be alms or Jesus. What are you going to choose? Praise God. There is a choice that we have to make. 
work that is that is exemplified in this passage of scripture. Alms or Jesus, the things of the world, or am I going to accept Jesus? He could have turned them away and said, no, if you don't have any money, I don't want what you've got. Hallelujah. But there was an openness in his heart and life to say, okay, I've been sitting here asking for money for all of my life. What is it that you can give me? He had a decision to make. He was either going to follow the dictates of his expectations, or he was going to trust that they had something that was greater. You can go through the same thing over and over, and it's a life that becomes a life of boredom. And, and it's it's the same thing over and over. Praise God. You can, you can choose those things, or you can choose the fact that Jesus is on the scene. And what Jesus offers you is much greater than all of these things that are represented by alms. I'm going to choose Jesus because salvation is there. I'm going to choose Jesus because peace is there. I'm going to choose Jesus because joy is there. I'm going to choose Jesus because healing is there. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness here in the house of God today? I'm going to choose Jesus because salvation is there. Praise God, praise God. I guess the priorities have to be in the proper perspective. Amen. What am I going to choose first? I've got a choice to make. I'm going to choose the beggarly elements of the world or I'm going to choose the power of the risen one. Ladies and gentlemen here today, we don't serve a dead God, but we serve a living God. Hallelujah. I'm not going to... I'm not going to choose the weak and beggarly elements of the world. Amen. But I'm going to choose the power that is wrapped up in a name that is above every name. Money alone will not bring satisfaction. If that were the case, people that were rich would be very satisfied. That's not necessarily the case. Don't get trapped in that world. Many want the alms, but they don't want Jesus. Many want the benefits of what Jesus provides, but they don't want to walk with Jesus. Jesus. Listen to me. If you want the benefits of who Jesus is, you're going to have to become a disciple of Jesus. Hallelujah. This man said to Peter and John, let's link up together and let's go into the temple and declare how God has done a miraculous thing. And they went in leaping and rejoicing and thanking God together because they recognized God has done great things here today. Amen. I don't want just the benefits, but I want to walk with the master. Amen. There may be some that may be upset with those that receive the benefits. Anybody ever experienced this when you're living for God and God is benefiting you and everybody else is upset because you've got a sound mind and you've got peace and you've got a settled spirit and you have joy and you have self-control and you have goodness and you have faith. You have a Christ-centered ethic. And so those look at you and they do their thing, but they resent the benefits that God pours out on those that are faithful to him. Hey, it's not God's fault. It is not God's fault, nor is is it the fault of those that love God? But is it a choice between alms or Jesus? Oh, I'm preaching here this morning. You may not realize how much I'm preaching, but in each and every one of our families, we've got individuals that are upset with us because of, of whatever. Hey, I'm just, I'm living for God. And in living for God, God blesses me. I don't 
deserve it, but he blesses me. It's like a law of following after Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems and difficulties, but it means that you have a better grasp of how to deal with those things. I'm running to the altar instead of running to prescription drugs and drugs and illicit drugs and street drugs and getting all caught up in addictions. I'm coming to the house of God instead of burning myself out on alcohol and everything else. Why? Because I'm thankful about the God that I serve. Don't resent me, please. I don't have anything against you. I'm not working against you, but I'm so very grateful and so very thankful, hallelujah, about the blessings of God's anointing. It's not because I'm trying to work against you. It's because God's been good to me. Sometimes these discussions happen. You, all, you guys have all this and you do that and, and you, you, you've got all this stuff and, and, and look where we are. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got a decision between alms of the world or Jesus. And I've been testifying and exhorting to you and we've all been telling you, if you live for God, watch what God richly does in your life. If you just follow after Jesus, you watch where things turn around. It may be difficult and it may be hard, but you've got the Lord who is on your side. And if he's for us, who can be against us? Come on, you can do it. But if you want to turn to the weak and beggarly elements and the alms of the world, you're not going to accomplish what you want to accomplish because the world has nothing to offer you. The world will tear you down and destroy you. Mark it some picture. That's a lie. You know what truth is? Truth is God's anointing in his word and the holiness of God and the direction of God and the power of God and the ability of God. And the peace of God and the strength of God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? You got to decide between alms or you got to decide between Jesus. It's more than just a miracle. Amen. This man received his miracle, but it was more than just a miracle. It was the fact that his body was healed, but his spirit was changed and his mentality was changed and his thinking was changed and new things had happened. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine sitting there all your life? That's the expectation. I'm going to beg for alms here today. This is just another day. It's my only way of sustenance. And that's what you did over and over and over and how that would infect your mentality. But on that particular day when a choice had to be made, and he was healed, and he got up from that position. His mentality obviously had to change. I am, I'm, I'm tomorrow, <laughs> praise God, tomorrow I'm not coming back here begging for alms because I'm, I'm not lame anymore, so why would I come back here and beg for alms? Because God has done something marvelous. I can go out and do things I've never been able to do before. And so I can take the restrictions off my mind because before, it was all, this was the only thing that I could do. But today is a new day, and it's a new season because of God's goodness in my life. I'm going to go out and explore what God can do in my life. There's a purpose and destiny. I can work with my hands now. I can get involved in things. I can do the work of God. His whole world has changed because his mentality changed. This is what God does when he changes and he transforms us. Amen. You look at the biblical witness. This, this seems to be something beyond 
my expectations. This seems to be a pattern in Scripture that is thematic throughout all the Scripture. Peter's mother-in-law prayed. The scripture said that they prayed for her. She was asking for prayer. How, how, many, how many times do I get on my phone a text, Pastor, please pray for this situation. Okay, I'll pray. And, and, I, and I mean that. I, I don't want to just say I'll pray and then don't actually do it. That's why many times when I get it, I pray right there. God, help this person. This is, this is serious. They need direction. They need So that it doesn't become just a platitude of I'll quote unquote pray for you. It needs to be meaningful. Somebody will pray. And so she asked for prayer. The expectation was that somebody would pray. And there's power in that. Did you know that there are studies that show that that prayer is powerful and it has a physical impact on your body? Did you know that? They have done studies that show that people that pray are healthier. Why? Because my mind is right, my spirit is right, and that, that eventually has an effect on my physical body. If you're stressed all the time, if you're worn out and that's what you're walking around with every day, you could end up with ulcers, you could end up with all high blood pressure, you could end up with all these kinds of things because your mental capacity is going to affect your physical body. This is why church is so powerful because I have a release of all of those things I may be struggling with. If I'm stressful, what do I do? I dance for the Lord and then I work it out. <laughs> I work it out. I clap my hands. If I feel anxiety, I pray in an altar. When the choir's singing and musicians are playing and the Holy Ghost is is moving. I feel a release from that from my spirit. A person that doesn't have that, it just sits there in their physical being and it eventually has an effect on their physical body. But when you pray and you worship and you seek God, you know that there's a way that I can unload all of these burdens and difficulties and I know that God is going to respond to me. So there's power in prayer. The expectation was that somebody would pray, and they prayed. And, and, but what happened was she was healed. <laughs> the expectation is somebody would pray for me, but what happened is she was healed. I want to preach this morning to somebody in this place. You've got an expectation, and I've come today to be the messenger of God and tell you whatever it is that you're expecting, God can supersede your own expectations. Hallelujah, his word is not a lie. His word will not return void. Whatever it is you came to the house of God today and that you were expecting, God is able to exceed the expectation. How, how about the man that was born of four, the paralytic man that they lowered down through the roof? I mean, they went in there, tore the roof off, and they lowered him down. Jesus was in there. People were in there. A crowd was in there. All of a sudden, there's a bunch of noise. The man is lowered down. What is the expectation? The people, the four men that carried him up there and then lowered him through the roof, what was their expectation? And what was the man's expectation of being lowered into the roof? What was the expect? The expectation was he's paralyzed. And, and the hope is that somehow Jesus can heal him, right? That was the expectation. Here he comes through the roof, and, and what does Jesus say? Jesus exceeds the expectation. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to give you your healing right. That's not what he said at first. 
The expectation was for healing. But Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven you and take up your bed and walk. The expectation was that I could take up my bed and walk. That's why we're tearing the roof off the place. And yet when you get before Jesus, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, who has the ability? He's saying he has the ability to forgive of sins. Nobody can do that except God. What they didn't realize is that Jesus was God and he exceeds the expectations beyond what I thought or imagined he says I can not only mm, I can not only heal your body but I can also heal your soul I can save you for an eternity because I've got power and ability that no other has Woo! hallelujah hallelujah Man, what about the man with the withered hand? The man with the withered hand, Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. He has a withered hand. It's on the Sabbath day. Jesus sees a man with a withered hand. And he says, stretch forth your hand. It's interesting that Jesus sees that the man has a hand that's withered, but he only says, stretch forth your hand. That's a whole nother message. That's a really good one. Because there's a choice to be made there, right? Which hand are you going to stretch forth? <laughs> you're going to stretch forth the withered hand? Or you're going to stretch forth the good hand? What do we as humanity typically do? We're not going to stretch forth the withered hand because the, the, that's embarrassing. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We don't want people to see our weaknesses. And so, so the man was needing an acknowledgement. And so he stretches forth his hand, which was the acknowledgement. But what happens? Jesus not only, the Bible says he restores the man's hand. Now, how are you going to interpret that? That's fascinating. Stretch forth your hand, he stretched forth the withered hand. A withered hand is a withered hand. And Jesus restores, he didn't just heal the hand, he restored the hand. Listen, whatever is broken in your life, God can restore it. Well, praise God. Maybe you're getting a little bored, so let me tell you this story. I may have told it before, but this would be the only illustration that I can imagine of, of Jesus restoring. So at PSR some years ago, it was called PSR. Now it's West Coast Conference. PSR years ago, they got this big healing line, and they formed this healing line, and everybody's going through the line, and everybody was praying. Darren Sargent was born with a nub. He's got, he's, it, it, it's below the elbow, but that's as far as it goes, and then there's a little nub that sticks out. And, and he's really good with it. I mean, he can stick it in your side, and he can play, he can do, he can do all kinds of things. He can golf, he can drive a car. His dad told him, you're going to be just like every other kid, and I'm not going to treat you like a cripple and a failure. You're going to be like everybody else, and so you're going to have to do what everybody else. So he had to struggle with that. But he gets in this line here, and he's got this nut, and he's going through this prayer line. Okay? And he's got his eyes closed, and he's praying as he's going through here. And he said, I'm not really sure what I'm even praying for. I mean, I mean this, this has been a struggle all my life because, you know, kids are not kind. And, and so they made fun of him. And, and, but, but he learned how to take that inadequacy or what he thought was inadequacy and he turned it into a lot of comical things 
and, and creative things. Like he put blood, he put ketchup on the end of it one time and act like he slammed it in the door and then like, like his arm got cut off by the door. And so he turned it into a humorous thing. And so he said, man, I, he said, I don't know, I don't know what would happen if, if God healed me of this thing, I would lose my identity. <laughs> he said, I've grown up with this thing. It's been, uh, people laugh about it. I, and, and so if God healed me, I, I wouldn't be the same Darren Sargent. So he said, I'm going through this line, and I'm praying, and I'm hearing people talk in my ear. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I don't know who it was. I don't know who was praying. But he said, there was somebody yelling in my ear, and they were saying, grow, arm, grow, grow, arm, grow. And he was saying, I was so conflicted because what if my arm started to grow? But there's no hand on it. So now I got a longer nub and a longer arm. <laughs> <It's sick. laughs> Jesus restored the man's hand. So the only thing I can think of in terms of an illustration is in that prayer line, if Jesus would have been there, the man with the withered hand, he didn't end up with a longer arm. He ended up with a restored hand. I want to tell you in faith here today, if you've got an inadequacy or a weakness, there's a God that can restore you back to the place and position where you are called to be. I don't, I don't care what looks damn God is able to do great things and restore things back to you. Hallelujah. Beyond what you could even think or ask. You say you don't understand my weakness, my failure. I'll never get restored. There's a God that can restore you. He's well able to restore you. He can exceed your expectations. He can go beyond what you were thinking. Yeah, how about the disciples that were on the boat and have been on the Sea of Galilee? It's, it's not a sea, it's a lake. And it's not a real big lake, but it kind of goes down into a bowl. And there are mountains kind of around it. It's kind of, kind of like, sort of like Lake Ming. For those of you that camp out there, it's kind of like that. You, it's, you look up and you see down in a bowl and you look up and you see the mountains on one side just it's much bigger than that but the winds can really swirl around in the bowl and create a tumult and that's what happened on this boat and then they discovered a first century boat they dug it out they carbon dated it it goes back to the first century and then they made a replication that you can actually go into the museum and look at this boat. When we think of boat and the disciples on the boat and Jesus being in the hold of the boat, our minds magnify this to be some like big boat or something. This big vessel. Maybe maybe as big as, say, a, a fishing vessel. And then you could go down and there's a galley below. Maybe something like that. That's what our minds tend to traject this is not like that at all. It's not that, it's, it's 20 to 30 feet. It's not a big boat at all. It's not very wide. And there is a, a set down space. And so Jesus apparently was sleeping in the back part. And, and they're struggling in this thing on this, this Sea of Galilee in this small boat. And you can imagine they're tear out in the middle of the sea. But it's not this big, huge kind of thing. And so they prayed their ex their 
their, their expectation was if we wake Jesus up that he can help us because we're in the middle of a storm. And that's what they even said. Care you not that we perisheth? We're perishing here. Can you help us? I don't know. Get the water out of the boat. What, whatever. And so that was their expectation. But Jesus, doesn't, he doesn't just start helping them try to get the water out of the boat. What does he say? He looks at the elements and he says, peace be still, doesn't he? He speaks to the elements. God knows how to exceed what you are thinking. Amen. When he walks in and he sees Jairus' daughter, he said, She's sleeping. Their expectation is she's dead. But Jesus speaks to her and she becomes alive. Anybody hearing what I'm saying here today? There is a God that knows how to supersede. Praise God. Whatever you're thinking about, there is a God that is greater. I want us to lift our hands right now. Whatever it is you're praying about, whatever it is that you're thinking about, know that there is a God that can perform beyond what you can think. Praise God. He is crucified and he's put in a grave and the expectation is that he is dead. Praise God as musicians come this morning. <clears throat> but he is not a God that is dead. He is a God that is risen. The expectation was that he's not going to come out of the grave. But the power is, he's a risen Savior. Mm. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we think or ask. According to the power that worketh in us, God is able to do greater than what we Ask or think. Jeremiah put it this way in chapter 32 and verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by the great power, thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Is there anything too hard for God? You've got great power and a stretched out arm. Since we're talking about arms this morning, you've got a stretched out arm which means you've got an arm that can reach. Is there, is there anything that is too hard for a God? God always exceeds the expectation. <clears throat> How about King Nebuchadnezzar when he tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace if you don't bow down to the image that has been erected. And they don't bow. And so he throws them. He, he eats it up seven times hotter, and he throws them in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, We are not careful to answer thee in this manner. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand. Amen. God's going to deliver us. The expectation, the expectation of Nebuchadnezzar is that I'm going to throw them into a fiery furnace and they will be consumed. That was his expectation. But what happens is when he looks in the fiery furnace, he says, did we not throw in three? And do I not I see four? 
and one looks like the son of the living God. His expectation was superseded. It was beyond what he could think or imagine. Amen. That's the enemy. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They trusted God that if their expectation was that if we get burned up in the fiery furnace, God's going to take care of us whether or not the flames consume us. But God superseded that by walking with them in the flames. <laughs> Praise God. I've got enough faith, Lord, that in the middle of my trial that even if I go down, I'm going down serving you and I'm going to give you everything I've got and it may totally destroy me. And then all of a sudden, that's our expectation. All of a sudden, what do we see? We see God walking beside us. You know, it's the old footprint picture that's so powerful, right? All this time, there's one set of footprints, and the person is, is, is in their mind thinking about this picture, and there's one set of footprints in the sand. Actually, I think at the beginning, there's two sets of footprints, and then it becomes one. And the person in their own mentality, they're saying, God, why is it that you left me? Why, 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 is it, why is it that you abandoned me? I mean, there were two sets of footprints, and now there's only one set of footprints. Anybody seen that picture before? It's a very well-known picture. And, and the point is, it wasn't, it wasn't me that abandoned you. It was me picking you up and walking with you. That's why there's only one set of footprints. God always exceeds. He always exceeds what we think. stand together this morning we could talk about Daniel in the lion's den First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9 but as it is written <clears throat> praise God as it is written I have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Praise God. What are, you, what are you saying this morning? I'm saying open the possibility of God exceeding what you're expecting. Amen. This altar call tonight or today is an opportunity for someone to step out and say, I'm expecting some things. I've been praying about some things. I've talking to God about some things. And God, I'm bringing that back to you again, but I'm bringing it back to you today with faith that not all, only are you going to answer that, but you're going to exceed what I was even thinking. Praise God. If that's you today, why don't you step out of the pew where you are and walk to a front and raise your hands in faith as they sing a song of invitation. I'm going to open the possibility. I'm going to let my faith give God a chance to go beyond what I'm thinking. Praise God. I worship you. I'm going to stretch my faith out as far my as God I can. Is great.